0: Hello and thank you for joining us. Morning Commute is developed in collaboration with App Point of Care and Projects and Knowledge and is part of Continuing Medical Education Series. This CME-CE activity is supported by an educational grant from GlaxoSmithKline. Information about the faculty and disclosures can be found at morningcommutepodcast.com forward slash COPD4. You can use this link to receive your credit and evaluate this program. The URL can also be accessed in the episode notes. In our ongoing six-part series on COPD, diagnosis of patients with COPD, particularly using the GOLD recommendations and the COPD assessment test, was discussed in episode one. Our second podcast took a look at dual therapy, and in our third, our experts discussed triple bronchodilator regimens and which patients would most benefit from this therapy. As we continue our discussion of therapeutics, our experts now turn to review the role of inhaled corticosteroids in the management of COPD. When should they be added to the therapeutic regimen, or when should they be stepped down? I'm your host, Candace Hoffman, Managing Editor of Morning Commute. We are joined by Dr. Jill Ohar, Professor of Pulmonary Critical Care, Allergy, and Immunologic Medicine at Wake Forest University School of Medicine. And by Dr. Melan Han, Professor of Pulmonary and Critical Care Medicine at the University of Michigan. Dr. Ohar will begin our discussion.
1: Hello and welcome to our discussion about dual therapy containing inhaled glucocorticoids for COPD. Today I'm
2: joined by Dr. Milan Han. Milan, welcome. Thank you so much, Jill. So happy to be here.
1: Well, let's talk about inhaled glucocorticoids. Let's just start out. We have um, actually single agents to treat COPD. We have dual bronchodilators to treat COPD. We have triple therapy that includes an inhaled glucocorticoid to treat COPD. How do you decide what should I be doing to to treat the patient in front of me in clinic. How do I make that decision around all our choices available?
2: Yeah, I think um, the good news is that we have a number of choices available. So I guess the bad news is that we have to think a little bit more in trying to find the right agent for the right patient. So whenever I'm trying to make therapy choices, I always think about, well, is the patient on anything right now? Uh, And if they're not, Uh, then um, the ICS-LAVA, or inhaled corticosteroid long-acting beta agonist category, uh, really sits in the GOLD-D group uh, with respect to the GOLD recommendations for initial start in therapy. So if you've got a patient that is treatment naive, but they're highly symptomatic, so it's a CAT score of 10 or more, uh, and they're at high risk for uh, exacerbations, that makes them a GOLD-D. And if they're not on anything, GOLD actually um, allows for a couple of different options. Uh, Long-acting muscarinic antagonist alone is an option. Uh, Dual bronchodilator is an option. And uh, inhaled corticosteroid LABA, uh, as we're talking about here, is also an option. And and in the latest uh, iteration of the document, they emphasize that uh, when we're thinking about trying to identify patients who would be appropriate for an inhaled steroid regimen, that uh, baseline uh, serum eosinophils can really be helpful uh, in that regard. We've got uh, just a, a set of accumulating data from multiple compounds and multiple studies that suggest the higher the baseline eosinophils, the more likely a patient is to respond. And so while there is no you know, magic threshold, despite the fact that you're going to hear numbers thrown around, I think it's important to remember that that relationship between baseline eosinophils and uh, and response to inhaled corticosteroids is, is really continuous. But the gold document suggests if you've got a uh, an initial start, if you've got eosinophils of 300 or more, that's a pretty high threshold. And that's probably a patient that really should be on an inhaled steroid off the bat. Now, if you've got a patient that's already on therapy and you're trying to decide what to do, let's say uh, they're on a, on a dual bronchodilator to begin with, and the problem now is frequent exacerbation uh, that, again, I think, is another patient where the question is, would they benefit from uh, inhaled corticosteroids? And, and I think here you really actually have a bit of an option. You can uh, go up to triple therapy uh, with two bronchodilators and inhaled steroid. But in some cases, you may decide it's actually um, beneficial for that patient to actually do an across-the-board switch. Uh, in which case, maybe you'd want to consider just an inhaled corticosteroids uh, long-acting uh, beta agonist. And again, here's where I might let eosinophils sort of uh, guide me in helping to think about uh, where inhaled corticosteroids would be uh, most beneficial. So that's kind of how I conceptualize it. That's great. I think it's important to underscore the fact that
1: regardless of what the eosinophils are, Um, inhaled glucocorticoids as a single agent are never indicated for COPD. So clearly um, an ICS in combination with a long-acting beta adrenergic uh, would be always what you would go with if you're going to use an inhaled glucocorticoid containing product or a triple, but never as a single agent for a steroid alone. Um, I think one of the things that you mentioned, and I find that it's very hard often to tease out symptoms versus exacerbations. And, and the recommendations by Gold really do try to make it black and white. And, and it's very difficult to find that patient who has the frequent exacerbations who isn't very symptomatic. Um, and I think the, because the exacerbations beget symptoms. Um, and, and so it's hard to, to separate out those. But clearly, if you have a patient who tends to have more breathlessness, um, I agree that the dual bronchodilator may be where to go before an ICS-containing product. Uh, and, and clearly, um, the ICS LABA may be for the frequent exacerbator phenotype that we've talked a little bit about in previous podcasts. Um, I think when, when we also um, talk about the, the gold management cycle um, and the concept of reassess and, and the idea that you can step up or step down, is there ever a case where you have someone who's on triple therapy and um, you go ahead and, and take them down to a duel, and that duel may be uh, a laba llama or it may be a LABA-ICS. Is there such
2: a circumstance that you found in your practice? You know, I think that one of the places where COPD thinking and asthma differs a bit is in that COPD is progressive. And so I think for many of us, the thought of stepping down in in COPD sort of just didn't really occur to us, or at least I didn't think about it a lot, because why would you step down uh, if things are only getting worse? My options here really are only to add. Um, But uh, we are starting to see some accumulating data, I think, about how to identify uh, patients who may be at greatest benefit from inhaled corticosteroids, but also those who might be at greatest risk. So we know that inhaled corticosteroids are associated with certain side effects and probably most notably pneumonia. Uh, and so if I have a patient where um, the inhaled steroid is starting to get to be a problem, I'm, they've gotten had a few pneumonias, maybe they've just had multiple bouts of thrush uh, that we can't seem to control no matter what, uh, what molecule or device I have them on, Uh, There may be instances, and in particular, if the eosinophil count is low, where I just don't think we're really getting much benefit. You know, sometimes you also may see patients that have been stable, not had an exacerbation in quite some time, and and again, you're concerned about risk. The data suggests that we've had two studies uh, within the last few years, one, uh, Wisdom, and the other one, Sunset, uh, which suggest on post hoc analyses that the higher the level of Eosinophils. Um, the the more likely the patient is to fail. I inhaled corticosteroid withdrawal. So if you're thinking about this, and you know the patient has really high eosinophils, you it, it makes that decision I think a bit trickier. But if you've got a patient with really just rock bottom eosinophil levels, there really really may not be a great benefit to that patient uh, to continue on. Uh, with uh, inhaled steroids, particularly given uh, the the side effects. So that is where I am, uh, you know, again, it's a very personalized patient uh, individual decision, but that's where I tend to think about inhaled steroid withdrawal.
1: So how about a person who's got a lot of uh, side effects, um, who's on an inhaled glucocorticoid, um, is that one that you might think about substituting a phosphodiesterase inhibitor or is this the kind of person that you might want to think about starting azithromycin um, to, you know, to control their exacerbations? And if so, w- what kind of things do you check first before starting those kinds of drugs?
2: Right. So beyond the inhaled uh, bronchodilators and steroids, what are our other options then if, if patients are still exacerbating? So as you mentioned, we do have uh, PD-4 inhibitor riflumilast, which has been uh, FDA-approved for use in the U.S., And that's really only been shown to be beneficial in patients with chronic bronchitis. So patients who have cough, sputum production and frequent exacerbations, in particular, frequent hospitalized exacerbation. But if you have a patient that meets that symptom uh, profile, uh, yes, it definitely uh, is an option out there. Uh, There are some patients who are not going to tolerate that drug because of uh, gastrointestinal side effects in particular. Uh, there is an FDA-approved lower dose that you can start patients on as a means to get them up to that therapeutic higher dose. Uh, so that does remain an option, and certainly I do have patients that fit uh, that, that profile. Uh, another option, as you mentioned, is azithromycin. This is obviously an old drug, around a long time, but we did in an NIH-sponsored study show that uh, for patients with uh, frequent COPD exacerbations or on um, oxygen, Uh, that we did see a reduction in exacerbation frequency with azithromycin. But uh, just like with uh, riflumilast, you can see uh, GI side effects with azithromycin. The other things that you have to be aware for are the potential for QT prolongation, uh, as well uh, as a small uh, amount of hearing loss that was uh, reported uh, in the study. So, And then I guess another thing which which, uh, uh, wasn't actually discussed in the study, but something else that I do think about in clinical practice is that we do have some patients with COPD who are at risk for non-tuberculous mycobacteria. So um, if I'm thinking about starting uh, as mice in particular, I usually get a baseline EKG. If there's any concerns about hearing loss, I'll send them for baseline hearing tests. And then I um, often will consider getting a CT scan ahead of time just to make sure that uh, there isn't concern for, for uh, any NTM uh, infection before uh, starting. So there are some caveats there, I think, with, with both, but they are both uh, things that are available to physicians to think about should the uh, inhaled therapies not be enough.
1: Absolutely. And that was just a great summary of, of who and where and when. Milan, in a, in a previous podcast, uh, I spoke with Dr. Barbara Yon, a primary care physician, uh, about applying GOLD guideline recommended care to her patients. Specifically, how do you make that diagnosis, especially in the COVID era, and how do you decide on on which initial therapy is right for your patient based on the the gold classification assessment tool of A, B, C, and D? Primary care doctors tend to view this very different than specialists, and I, I just would be very interested in your
2: take. We've seen so many misdiagnoses. And um, uh, or or late diagnoses that we really really want firm data to establish diagnoses. So uh, even uh, yes, uh, COVID is now posed a huge challenge with getting pulmonary function testing. But you know, at the University of Michigan, we now have a, a big procedure set up. We're doing COVID nineteen testing on patients before they come in for their pulmonary function testing. And if you're a, a new patient with me. Um, I, you know, the gold still recommends getting post bronchodilator spirometry to establish a diagnosis of stupidity and I've just seen so many uh, patients that are much, much more severe than anybody thought or had a totally different diagnosis. Once I had someone with diaphragmatic paralysis that was assigned a diagnosis of hospitalized COPD exacerbation. So I think by the time they get to me, I, you know, we have to get the diagnosis right and I have to stage the patient correctly and you just cannot do that without, without spirometry. So uh, that's, uh, I think, sort of the first thing I do. And then the second question is what to do about therapy. I rarely have the luxury of being the first person to attempt therapy in a patient. (laughs) Sometimes I do, but often the patient is already on something by the time they get to me. So it's not as much uh, establishing an initial therapy uh, as it is trying to figure out how to optimize a a regimen the patients are uh, already on. I think of the patient as, uh, you know, mild to moderate, and it really is truly uh, initial therapy, I still think that a long-acting uh, muscarinic antagonist uh, is a great choice. Uh, but if you have a patient that's, that's uh, uh, highly symptomatic and high risk for exacerbations, uh, Gold really gives us three options at this point for initial therapy. That includes a long-acting muscarinic antagonist, uh, inhaled corticosteroid uh, long acting beta agonist combo or dual bronchodilator therapy. Uh, and, and there are some caveats as to where you might consider one or the other for patients that are super symptomatic. You might think about the dual bronchodilator, for instance, cat over 20. But for patients with really high eosinophils, that's where you may actually want to think about the inhaled corticosteroid long 18 beta agonist as your initial choice in that high high risk patient group. Uh, When we're thinking about uh, extending therapy, improving therapy, that's where uh, Gold recently made some changes. And now instead of just the one diagram, they've got two new diagrams uh, to to walk people through what to do if if treating symptoms is your primary goal and what to do if uh, treating exacerbations is your primary goal. And I would say the overarching concept of both graphs that they've got, though, is that the bronchodilators in particular dual can be really helpful for high symptoms. But if you've really got frequent exacerbations and and a patient in particular uh, has eosinophils uh, over 100, that's where you really may want to think about uh, ensuring that an inhaled steroid is part of that patient regimen. So uh, this kind of dovetails into the concept of
1: COPD patient types. So the frequent exacerbator phenotype, the eosinophilic endotype, and then asthma COPD overlap. How do you in your own head sort those out and how does that, once you've put a patient into one of those categories, how
2: does that affect your initial therapy? You know, it's funny, there's actually quite a bit of debate uh, even among uh, gold members right now as to whether asthma COPD overlap actually exists. But uh, I, I think we've all seen uh, patients that have perhaps perhaps really high eosinophils and maybe have a childhood history of asthma and have uh, a lot of bronchodilator reversibility. That we certainly think about uh, about it, and, and we all know patients can have as many uh, diagnoses as they darn well want. Uh, so I, I do think uh, that I, I do think about that patient as sort of that eosinophilic subtype. Uh, of of Supri, And you're right. Uh, we are starting to think about these patients a little bit uh, differently. Whereas, you know, you you may also see I actually have a few patients that are listed for lung transplants who have, you know, I have one gentleman with an sv one of 11% predicted and he has not had an exacerbation in quite some time, which is shocking to me, uh, but he hasn't. So, it, it really does uh, suggest, though, that we do have these um, different uh, patient subtypes, and and that's where you know for this one gentleman, he is not on an inhaled steroid. I've just got him on on dual bronchodilators, whereas I have a another patient who has an FEV1 of 65% who exacerbates every time I turn around, uh, and and I have uh, him on on triple therapy. So I think I think you are right that. Uh, uh, we are starting to see some differentiation of tailoring the therapies to patient subtypes. Absolutely. And
1: I, th- I think this whole concept of who are the frequent exacerbators, uh, it's more than just COPD and clearly more than just FEV1. They're social factors. Um, th- does this person, are they able to take their their uh, drugs appropriately? Do they want to take their their drugs appropriately? Are are they taking other drugs that are illicit drugs? Are there comorbidities flaring that then make their COPD flare? So I think it's such a complex interplay of multiple social, physiologic, emotional uh, factors that, and psychological factors that, that um, that impact on whether you see that patient coming back for an exacerbation every six weeks versus every six months or six years. And and it's not just FEV1. So Milan, I really wanna thank you for taking the time uh, to discuss some of these complex issues uh, with me today on this podcast. I, I'd like to thank all the listeners. Um, and I hope that we can
2: uh, have the pleasure of doing this again. Thank you uh, so much, Jill. It's always uh, fun to
0: get to chat with you. Thank you for joining us today. Remember to go to morningcommutepodcast.com forward slash COPD4 to receive your credit and evaluate this program. And be sure to join us for the next episode in this series at morningcommutepodcast.com forward slash COPD5, where Dr. Ohar will be joined by Dr. Barbara Yawn for a discussion about COPD exacerbations. You can also find all six of the episodes in this series at morningcommutepodcast.com forward slash copd.